Hello and welcome to Impact Ed. I'm H.D. Chambers with Ailey ISD. Uh, thank you for joining uh, today's episode. I hope you uh, hope you learned something. I promise you, I promise you, you're going to learn something uh, on a very sensitive issue. This is the t- today's topic is going to be discussing uh, the United States' 2020 census, and the reason we're talking about that in the school system is because of the the seriousness of the data collected and how that impacts. Uh, not only our school system, you know, neighboring school systems, as well as the general, uh, the city of Houston, the greater the greater uh, Houston area, both in funding and in just knowing where our population is, who our population is, and what can be done to help support them and and um, and to continue growing our our region, both economically and, and in diversity. So, Mr. Charles Woods, who's our deputy superintendent for for business services, is joining me. Uh, he's been on a previous episode. Uh, Charles is kind of assigned to our has been assigned to this overarching idea of participating in the census and knowing as much as we can about it. How can a school district support the the accurate reflection of a community? And so we're going to do our part, uh, both with students and with families and the general community. So Charles is here. Uh, he fa- he knows far more about this than I do. But I just want the listeners to to have a, a kind of a view of how we're approaching this in the school district. And like I said to begin with, you're going to learn something. You're, probably, you're going to learn how this does impact us uh, in our school community. So, Charles, thank you for joining us. And with that, I'm just going to ask you to kind of just jump right into it. Uh, maybe just give everyone, for those who don't know, kind of what the census is, what's the point of it, how long we've been doing it, all that good stuff, and then we'll get to the details about what makes this one so important. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. Um, the census was first laid out by our founding fathers in the Constitution in Article One, Section 2, and in that section of the Constitution, it lays out that all citizens will be counted on a decennial basis every 10 years, and the reason for that count is spelled out as well, and that is to apportion the number of representatives that are representing the, the people of the states in Congress, as well as how to divide the tax dollars that are collected from the citizens back to the states and back to the citizens of the country. And so ever since the very first decennial census, of 1790, there has been a census every 10 years without exception, and the data that has been gathered along those decennial censuses as well as other counts is collected and processed by a division of the federal government called the Census Bureau. That is a, if nothing else, a bunch of statisticians that that keep a large database and do projections and estimates based off that data on an ongoing basis, and then use that for the biggest piece of it to apportion the dollars that go back out to the states. Just in one year, a given 2015, the federal government apportioned $635 billion to the states based on census calculations, the number of people in different categories. So in the census, there are some basic questions about who lives in your house or your, your residence, uh, whether or not it's owned or rented, the sex of each person, the age of each person, the race, the Hispanic or Latino or Spanish origin, and then the relationship. In other words, are they 
not a family member. Are they a family member? And if they're a family member, are they son, daughter, husband, wife, so forth? Of those basic questions gathered every 10 years, this is done of every household in the United States. There's an outreach that's done by the Census Bureau into every major metropolitan area, and offices are set up. And so they have a budget that they apportion for each of the states based on the size of the population of how many workers they're going to have to employ to go house to house, um, sometimes within communities, to, to try and in-person count folks. And that's done by, by where they've typically had a low response. And we know that in those areas there are more people living there than responded the last census. Why it's a big deal is not only the, the amount of dollars that are sent back to the states, but each year between the decennial census um, for the last, oh, just under a decade now, the Census has, Bureau has done what's called an American Community Survey, which is done annually, but it's also broken down in, in within each year to a number of surveys that are sent out per month. So roughly three and a half million survey families or, or households are done each year across the United States, usually in high populated areas. And those results are tallied. And in that portion of the census, if you will, the survey, it is a long form. So think of this as like not the 1040 easy form. This is which is what you fill out on the normal decennial census, the American Community Survey has the long form, and it's pages and pages of, of questions. That's where they get the detailed information about the commute to work. Do you use public transportation? Those detailed life questions about how you function, getting to and from work or school or uh, hospital service, uh, emergency services, and so forth. So th that's the, the American survey is a is not the census correct i mean it's maybe it's conducted by the census bureau but that's not the actual census correct okay and that questionnaire is is extremely detailed right and it typically has a worse response rate or lots of questions left blank if you will than the than the decennial census because the decennial census is is short and easy mm -hmm. now in 2020 the Census Bureau, for the first time, will roll out a second option for people to fill out. So you have, up till now, you've had in-person, where a census worker shows up at your door and you answer the door and go, uh-oh, Census Bureau. Right, right. <laughs> you can fill out the form right then and there, or they mail them to every household that has an address that's, they have the an address database and mail those out. You can also f fill it out by phone by dialing a phone number. And then this year, there's going to be an online option. So you can do it on the internet to make it extremely easy. This will be the first time they've ever done that. Now, there's a lot of hubbub about, will that lead to bad numbers and so forth? I think that over, you know, 200 years of collecting these, these numbers and in the interim doing these American community surveys, they can pretty well tell where there's massive fraud or, right. or abuse. So why is it a big deal? It's a big deal in Houston, especially in Texas, uh, 
because of what's recently been in the news about the citizenship question and it being a, just a general distrust in trying to fill out this, if it's going to ask the citizenship question. And the way I understand it is, is this will be the first year in well over 100 years that the citizenship question has not been on the census. So it was added originally as a, as a question for 2020, and then it was taken off by the courts. And so I guess in recent days, the federal government has petitioned uh, DMV departments in all the states to try and get citizenship information. So they're going a different route for what they want. This is kind of the sensitivity that we that I mentioned earlier. You know, there's a particularly in large urban areas, and and particularly in Texas, and this growing concern of what this information may be used for as it relates to citizenship and with undocumented, you know folks who are living in our country who are undocumented and they're, they're worried that this is going to be used for for other measures other than just counting people. But I, I think it's worth, at least to me, because I, I found it, I didn't realize this, that that question on the census data, not the American survey, but the census form has been there since the beginning of the census, except for a handful of times in which it was not. I don't know if most people knew that or, or even care about that, but in today's times, in today's politics, uh, with what's happening in the the sides and the lines in the sand that have been drawn over this issue. I just found it interesting that the government was not adding that question. It was actually been on there for, for a long time. So so along the lines of why do we have to fill out the census and why is it a big deal? Again, the census is required by the Constitution of every citizen. There's a responsibility for every citizen to be counted. And, and so much so that they put it in U.S. code a $5,000 penalty for not filling out the census. Now, nobody's ever been prosecuted, but it is important because so much rides upon those counts between those 10 years of span Mm -hmm. that communities are grown or deteriorate based on that. And, And what I'm getting at is that if you can imagine health and human services dollars, transportation dollars, SNAP for food assistance, all the title funds, unemployment insurance. I mean, it just goes on and on and on that are tax dollars from the feds. Each state's taxpayers pay to the federal government and then are due to get back to support the populace that's in those states. That's reflected from the census data. Right. And when they collect taxes from incomes and our citizens pay into that fund. And so, therefore, we're due to get those dollars back. And in Houston, it's been estimated that we have a huge undercount from the 2010 census, specifically in the Latino population. And it's been proven through uh, studies at the Kinder Institute by Dr. Kleinberg that that the Latino population has grown at the rate that was projected, and that wasn't shown in the census. And therefore, we've been estimated losing maybe just over a billion dollars in the last 10 years to the Houston area in transportation dollars and health and human services dollars. And and that's just the tip of the iceberg because when you start looking at planning, I know what we do when we are looking at estimating the number of children that are going to be in our schools, we have to plan way ahead to build a school in time. The same thing happens for all the other governmental Uh, services, hospitals, EMS, fire stations, down to 
the number of seats that a college plans on having for certain income brackets or certain demographics of population of students 10 years from now. If they don't get the right count in 2020, in 2030, you're cheating yourself out of seats. As a taxpayer, you're cheating yourself out of money because just take that estimated billion dollars that you referred to from the 2010 undercount. That billion dollars is arguably billions of dollars that taxpayers in this area sent to the feds through income tax. And somebody else got it. And somebody else got it. That's the argument. Now, every state has undeniably an undercount. Mm -hmm. I know when I was a kid, I can remember adults that were like census workers coming to the door. Yeah, yeah. Don't answer the door. I think a general distrust in government can throw an extra fear or caution in people in filling this out. And I just want to clear up another piece of misconception. The data that's in the Census Bureau that's gathered and collected is already there. They know the addresses. The federal government knows just about everything about everybody that's living in the United States already through other gathering mechanisms. Mm -hmm. So there's very little that's actually that's gathered other than a snapshot in time count that ties to a geographic location. And so that helps the apportionment of these dollars ongoing. While it's important to answer correctly and truthfully, it also is important to just be counted. And that's probably the most important thing that that can be done is is to not avoid filling it out or, or responding. By the fact that they've made it online as well this time, I know we're going to have an outreach, even schools where you could go into the parent centers and mm-hmm. and fill it out online. Potentially anybody's cell phone, you could pull up the, the web page and fill it out. And it's going to be very quick because it's like 10 questions this time. When you start looking at down the road, what does this affect to a school district? Well, for us, in this last 86th legislative session, House Bill 3 was passed, and there were a number of factors of funding that were tied to census data. And the biggest is what's called compensatory education law. Which is new. This is new to the way that we fund public schools. Correct. For the first time in the history of Texas, we're using census data to direct money, which is very similar to what the federal government uses census data to direct money from the feds to the state. Just want everybody to understand how important this is to just the school system and how we receive funding. Between the median household income, the percent which they will have to take from the American Community Survey that's done in between the census, the percent of home ownership, which is a question on the census, percent of single parent households, which will be gathered from this census, an educational attainment score from the household of adults, which will have to be taken from the last American Community Survey, they come up with an overall score for each individual child that attends school who is registered as free and reduced lunch. And so if a child, if a parent fills out an application for free and reduced lunch and qualifies, then they are scored on one of five tiers for the census block group that they live in. To give you an idea, a census block group is a, it's smaller than a county, it's smaller than a school district, it's a lot of times smaller than a neighborhood. It's a sub-block of a neighborhood-sized chunk of, of the geography. 
and every student will be geocoded or matched their address onto a map, kind of like going into Google Maps and putting in an address and it comes up with a point. The same thing will occur for every student in public education in Texas. And based on that location, that census block group has certain factors that were gained from the census and from the American Community Survey that says this is the level of poverty or generational poverty, the conditions in, in that tier of like census blocks throughout the state of Texas. So the entire state is mapped out by census block groups and classified in a ranking system of into five tiers. And so the dollars that we're talking about for every student that we receive now annually, okay, we normally get $6,140 in the basic allotment. That's 6030 And now the comp-ed allotment will be a multiplier of that basic allotment. So for the tier one students, which would be the median household income of 114000 or more, 89% or more home ownership in that census block group, 11% single parent households or less, educational score of 70% of high school or higher, it comes up with a score that we would receive an additional $1,386 for that student each year. All the way to tier five, which is 28700 or less median household income, 37% home ownership, which means most rent in that census block group, 53% single parent households or more, and an educational score of 42% of high school attainment or or better, that student will generate another $308 per year. So for a district that has a, a fairly high amount of economically disadvantaged students, these are significant amounts of dollars that add up per year. And a bulk of these dollars were converted out of the formula into this new classification called compensatory education allotment. And it's a spectrum weight to try and deal with the idea that, that schools that have a, a large number of socioeconomically disadvantaged students that come from an area that traditionally has generations of low socioeconomic students, that there are difficulties that, that require additional services and additional attention. Yeah, and, it's just more expensive. They, 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 there's, a, there's a higher cost to, to educate them. And so for us to be able to, to supply the services we need, mm-hmm. now our funding is tied to that. And so it's very important that they get counted. Right. I think it, it goes back to the, the reason we're even doing – we're talking about this on, on this episode. Charles outlined real pretty succinctly the federal government uses of this information that is new. And I want to repeat myself, but I want to, I want to be very clear. In Texas – This is a new way to fund schools across the state of Texas. The only way it can work for districts who have challenging student populations who come from uh, difficult backgrounds, whatever the reason, in order for the resources to get to those schools to help those children overcome those difficult backgrounds, census data has to be accurate, as accurate as it possibly can be. Districts across the state of Texas right now are wrestling with this. And you go back to the earlier comment about the sensitivity of this. And in today's world, it, you know, politically, it, uh, you've got many, many individuals and in not only in a- Aleve's community, but in other communities, uh, particularly from 
Latin America, Latinos, who are worried, who are nervous about answering any question, whether to ask them about their citizenship or not. They're just they're worried about their name being collected by the federal government and, and being used for things other than what we're talking about. Part of the message I would like to get out, in addition to how important it is to our school district, but perhaps more importantly as a, as a public service announcement, for lack of a better term, is that the federal government already has that information. A lot of people say, well, I'm not going to use a credit card because I, I don't want the banks to know who I am or what, I, don't want, I don't want Big Brother. I don't want Uncle Sam knowing how much money I'm spending. Well, here's a little news alert for you. They know. You could live your life in cash and live in a in a barn in a wooden house in the mountains of Colorado. They're still going to know where you are and what you're doing. And so we're we're attempting to just educate people on the importance of it and what it is and what it's not. And I know going back to Charles's point, I know we got into the weeds a little bit on you know what media, what's the income level and all that. The the point that he's he's making is that if we have an inaccurate reflection of census data, we as a school district, we as a community, we as a city will be impacted negatively. It's just a, it's just a fact that that's going to occur. If, if you're filling out the census this year and um, you plan on being in the United States and in Texas, it's very important that you fill it out because you're only hurting yourself. I mean, you are hurting the community as well in general, but... But really, there are so many things tied to it down the road. It's, a, it's quite a loss to yourself and your family's future to deprive the area or the community that you live in from the resources that we're due. We're due this to help make this a better place. The other funding formula changes here in school finance that there are a number of factors that are tied now to this theory of economically disadvantaged and and that data is gathered every year. But when it comes to the census, to be able to tie that to a geographical area so that dollars are micro-directed to the neighborhoods in which they're most needed, this is what everybody's been asking for for years, is to let the dollars get to where they're actually, where those students reside or where those citizens reside. Stands to reason you, everybody should stand up and be counted. And, and at least during the census, to make sure that that happens and we get a great representation in Houston and you'll set not only the city but the region in motion. It's starting in January, the city of Houston and the other nonprofits have teamed together to spend $4 million of local dollars to try and get the word out to get the census count correct because we were so undercounted in 2010. That's how important it is to the city of Houston and to the county and to the region. And that exists in the Valley. It exists in San Antonio. It exists in Dallas, major metropolitan areas. They, they all are undercounted in Texas. And Texas as a whole has been estimated to lose tens of billions of dollars over a decade. That That's not even counting population growth. That's just in what's currently here today. And so instead of shortchanging Texas or Houston or, or your school district or your emergency services district or your hospitals or your colleges, be counted. That's the, that's the point. And going back, if, if you're a taxpayer and you wonder where in the world does your dollars go when, you, when they take them out of, your, out of your paycheck every month or every two weeks, 
this is an opportunity to get some of that money back. This is one way, and I'm not, I'm not arguing that it's perfect. I'm just saying this is one way the federal government tries to redistribute money back to states based on the, the needs of, of people. We'll wrap this up by saying this. One of the big issues that's going on across our country, it's going on in our district right now, is this idea of equitable distribution of resources. In other words, looking at things equitably you know, versus equally. This is an example of the federal government trying to use as much data as they can get to equitably redistribute tax dollars to the to the places that need it the most. I'm like any other person. I don't like paying my taxes. I don't like paying higher taxes. But if I know that some of it may be coming back to help improve areas in which I live, it takes a little bit of the sting out of paying them. What bothers me personally is the, the notion that we're not being you know, some of the money that we're due and that we're needed is not coming back to us because we have people not filling out the census. And so, like I said, I know it's a sensitive issue. I know that there's a lot of misinformation out there. And when I say miss, there's a lot of bad information being spread out amongst many communities, a lot of inaccurate information that um, has to do with today's political environment and the climate and what people's views are of, of providing this type of information to the federal government. Our encouragement is to participate in the uh, census with, with knowledge it, that it's it's going to be used for the reasons in which it's intended. That's kind of our position. Charles, anything else before we wrap up? Just uh, our kids have already gotten involved with the city of Houston. Yeah, uh, for Early College High School kids got involved in a project and came up with ways to do kind of like block walking and get the word out and to try and stimulate the youth to get the uh, the adults to fill out the census. And so you'll hear more as we get closer. The official census date is April 1st. But it starts just after the beginning of the new year, and and there's going to be uh, hiring that's happening right now in the Census Bureau. Um, so if you're looking for a job, they pay pretty good. Uh, just do, Google it and, uh, and Google for census jobs, and they're paying all over the place in Houston right now to ramp up the offices. So we might earn some quick cash. Yeah. This is we're five, six months out before this actually starting. The reason we're having this conversation now is to begin laying the groundwork for, you know, building up momentum for participating in it. This won't be the last time you hear us talk about it, but it's uh, it is time to begin having this conversation. Charles, thank you again for for what you do and your leadership on this and your your knowledge. Right. With that, uh, this has been Impact Ed. I'm H.D. Chambers. Hope you enjoyed today's conversation. Uh, Look forward to you joining us on our next episode. Have a great day. This has been an AMP production.